morning, Mercy House. Morning, Damien. I'm going to borrow this. Uh, borrow this one. Nope. Thanks. All right, how are we? Doing pretty good? Alive, awake? So this is our last single service. After this, next week, we'll, we'll announce this again so you won't forget, but um, we're going to go back to two services, which is always an exciting time because that means that the students are coming back and this place begins to inflate a little bit and we get to see lots of people. Uh, at I'm not that short, man. Like, <laughs> Thank you. A little mini, mini one. Oh. All right, so I am very excited to be preaching this morning. <laughs> this guy. All right, we're going we're gonna to get going here. Um, it's a little unexpected. Uh, Robert and Mel are currently moving Kayla into college this morning, so they're busy doing that. Um, and so I, I kind of got bumped into the preaching schedule this week, which I'm super thrilled about. Um, for those of you who haven't met me, who haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Tommy Moore. I'm on staff at Mercy House, um, and I did a bulk of the preaching while Robert and Mel were on sabbatical earlier this year. And, and really what my job is is to focus on the small groups and the men's ministry, which is something I'm, I'm really passionate about, um, I get really excited about, and, and I am specifically excited about things kicking back off uh, in the next month. Um, but let me tell you this, as much as um, I, I, I love the small groups and I love... Um, thinking about men's ministry, I absolutely love preaching. I, I just love preaching. And, and if you know me at all, or if you spent any time with me, I, I think what, what you'd recognize is that I'm a very excitable person, and, and I like to get other people excited as well. I think it's just a part of the way that God has built me. And I, I totally get that it can be annoying at times. I'm looking at my wife right now. So we live right near Westover Air Force Base, uh, which is a great place to live because w when, the, when the jets fly overhead, I am like a little child. I have literally run out of the house and like I'll look up at the sky and like cheer them on as they go by, like a child. Caitlin can attest to this. I've done this several times. And I, and, and, and I just, I can't stop watching the new Top Gun trailer. Anybody else? So pumped for that. Um, but I think here's the thing. It, it's that as much as I'm told that I need to contain my excitement, which was a phrase I heard a lot growing up, um, Sunday morning preaching is one of those times that I, I, I truly feel like I am let off the leash to be my excitable, passionate self. Because I think the reality is, is that there's nothing that exists that earns, n nothing else that, that requires, nothing else that actually demands our joyous, excitable nature more than the glory of God in Christ Jesus. There, there's nothing else that should invoke our sense of awe and astoundment more than the Word of God being clearly communicated to us in Scripture, as it tells us this love story of sacrifice and redemption for each and every one of us. There's nothing else that should capture just that youthful sense of wonder and passion more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's why I love preaching. This is the one place where no one can tell me, hey, Tommy, why don't you relax a little bit, right? Like, why don't you just take a chill pill with all that glory of God stuff? Because I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to relax during this next 30-minute uh, sermon, and I think that that's why I love preaching so much is that I don't have to. So here we are. I also love preaching because of just the challenge of teaching and communicating something forces me uh, into a place where it really requires my full focus 
of comprehension um, of Scripture as I prepare. And so we engage with concepts and ideas really differently when we just consume them for ourselves as opposed to having to communicate them to other people. And so the preparation for preaching has always, has always been this really sweet, intense experience of digging into God's Word, thinking on it, meditating on it, and just differently than I would normally uh, in my personal quiet time. So I always welcome the opportunity to jump into the lineup, even on a short week with little notice. I love it. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that some of this excitement, some of this joy, that, that I, I'm being fueled by God, the Word of God, as I'm preparing and reading, w- would just be ignited by the Holy Spirit and then just be, con- con- contam- no, conta- be contagious to you? What is the... W- would be contagious and that you would receive it, right? Yeah. That it would be encouraging and refreshing to your faith. So if you have your Bibles, can you open up to Philemon? And I do apologize. I made the joke one day of calling it Philemon Yon, and it's, that's just stuck in my head. So if I refer to it as that, I apologize. If you haven't been around these past few weeks, uh, I'm going to fill you in really quickly. We're going through the shorter books of the New Testament, and, and Austin and Corey have been taking us through the first 19 verses of Philemon. And this morning, I'm going to wrap up the last six verses. Um, Philemon is this letter from Paul. It's his absolute shortest letter uh, to a man named Philemon. And here are the the five key points to remember as we go into the sermon this morning. Um, Philemon is a personal friend of Paul's. Um, That's important because you're seeing language that would communicate a level of intimacy um, of having done life and ministry together with Paul. This is not a to whom it may concern at the church at Colossae. It literally is to our beloved fellow worker. So there's this pre-existing relationship between them. Uh, two, Paul is under house arrest in, in, in Rome. And so while Paul often refers to himself as a prisoner in Christ, he, he means that both figuratively and literally in this case, in this letter. Um, three, while this letter is personally addressed to Philemon, it actually would have been read to everybody at their house church. And Austin put it really nicely, if this were an email being sent to Philemon, everybody in the church would have been cc'd in on that email. So everyone else is hearing this, being read aloud. The fourth thing is that this letter is delivered uh, to the letter, um, with the letter to the Colossians. Uh, And they would have both been likely read together. And so we see some overlapping themes between the two. So it's not a bad idea to be reading Colossians alongside Philemon. And five, really the main subject matter of this letter, which Corey dove into last week, is the treatment of this man named um, Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, uh, but most importantly, he, he's become a believer. He's received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, and he becomes a, a brother in Christ uh, to Paul and also Philemon. And so Onesimus belongs to Philemon, and he actually ran away. He received the gospel. He started ministering to Paul after receiving the gospel from Paul and hearing the gospel, giving his life to Jesus. Um, and then what Paul does is he sends Philemon, or I'm sorry, Onesimus back with this letter. And so uh, Paul doesn't prescribe or command Philemon to act in any specific way. But what he does do is he appeals to Philemon to consider the superseding identity of Onesimus now that that he's a believer and he's a follower of Christ. And what he does is he trusts Philemon to handle the situation within the gospel framework um, that they all operate under now as being redeemed by Christ. So now there's obviously a a lot more into this this situation um, between Onesimus and Philemon, which Paul addresses, and that's not really where we're going to be spending a lot of our time um, this morning. Uh, but 
Corey did a great job last week. So if you haven't listened to Austin's sermon or Corey's sermon last week on the first part of Philemon, I encourage you to hop um, onto our podcast and just check those out because they do a great job. Uh, this morning, what we're going to focus on are the last six verses um, of Philemon. So before we really jump in, let me pray and, uh, and we'll get started. God, we thank you that um, in you we can be uh, refreshed and renewed and excited, God. Um, we thank you for the gospel, and we thank you that it transforms our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that, that your words are here for us to read. And we pray this morning that um, as, I'm, as I'm speaking, that you'd use my words to glorify yourself. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verses 20 and 21. This is Paul. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul is typically pretty blunt in the way that he communicates, and here in verse 20, what he's saying is, I want something from you, Philemon. I want something from you. Refresh my heart in Christ. And what Paul means is he's saying, encourage me in Christ. Refill my cup as I've poured myself out in Christ. Uplift my faith. Help, help me restoke the fire and the passion that is in me. Refresh my heart in Christ. And this request from Paul helps us extrapolate two key principles about the life of a disciple of Jesus. It, it shows us that disciples need to receive refreshment and that disciples can deliver refreshment in Christ. And this might seem really straightforward because it is really straightforward. Anyone who has been a disciple of Christ, and, and I make this distinction of having been a disciple um, as those who confess Christ. Uh, as, as, as their, their Christ and, and, and their Savior and their King and actually live lives according to this confession. So anyone who's been a disciple of Christ for any period of time can attest to the reality that, that, the, that a disciple needs refreshment in Christ. It's not easy following Jesus. And if anyone ever sold it to you as being easy, I do apologize because it's not. See, there's a reason why Jesus himself in Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Earlier this year, I preached a whole sermon on this. And, and what Jesus is communicating is that being a disciple is a death sentence. It's a death sentence. Anyone who picks up their cross means they're about to go die. You don't just carry a cross around for fun. This is pick up your cross, you're going to go die. And not just a single death sentence, but a daily death sentence. So the, the reality is that Jesus wouldn't use this metaphor if it didn't mean that some days of discipleship, of denying ourselves and following Jesus and doing what he's calling us to do, didn't feel like death, because it does. And so disciples need refreshment in Christ, like a runner needs water during a marathon. And Paul's heart is parched at this point. He's, he's experiencing discouragement and spiritual fatigue, and he's saying, Philemon, I, I need something from you. I, I need my heart to be refreshed in Christ. That, in turn, uh, establishes this second principle that we see, that disciples not only need to receive refreshment in Christ, but that disciples can deliver refreshment to other disciples in Christ. So how do we refresh the heart's 
of other believers? How do we encourage our brothers and our sisters in their faith? How do we uplift? How do we encourage? How do we help fan back into flames, into roaring fires, the faith that are in our brothers and sisters? Let's look at those verses again. 20 and 21, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul's refreshment is actually being received through Philemon's obedience, through Philemon's obedience. And I do want to point out again that as we read this letter, we don't actually see any specific directives from Paul concerning how Philemon should act. Remember that, that Paul does speak truth, and, and what he does is he bolsters the framework of the gospel-informed living uh, and decision-making that Philemon should be executing now that he's a redeemed follower of Jesus. He doesn't say, though, specifically, you need to forgive Philemon for running away and receive him back into your home. He doesn't say, forgive Philemon and give him back to me so, so, so he can minister to me. He doesn't say, forgive Philemon and then set him free. He's saying here, I'm confident in your obedience, Philemon, not in what I'm commanding to you, because Paul isn't really commanding him to do anything. He's saying, I'm confident that you have indeed been transformed by the gospel, and that transformation and the Holy Spirit will direct you to do what is right, and that I trust that you will obey God as he leads you to that place. And so Paul's refreshment here is actually being delivered through Philemon's obedience to Christ. And Paul's encouragement is, is, Philemon's, uh, is, is in Philemon's faithfulness and his faith-filled living. That's where Paul is getting some refreshment here. And so here's another principle that we see, is that we can deliver refreshment to other disciples through our faithful discipleship of Jesus. When we show faithful obedience to the gospel, to God's word, that can actually encourage the faith of other disciples. Faith encourages faith. And just last week, um, we were at this week-long camp, uh, and it, it brought hundreds of youth all over New England to one place in this, uh, in this gym. And each night, we got to hear the gospel uh, being preached. And, and the camp has a really special place in my heart because it was really through that camp that God built a lot of my faith. He really encouraged me in my faith when I was uh, in, in middle school and high school. And I remember when I was a junior in high school, uh, one of the nights the speaker was preaching, um, and my easily excitable brain was anywhere but listening to what this person was saying. Um, I was having a really hard time focusing, and, and I honestly don't remember what was said for most of the sermon, uh, but I do remember that at one point, the speaker takes a plate and, and he smashes it on the ground, just absolutely smashes it. And I'm telling you, this thing exploded right? It wasn't just like a little crumple of porcelain. Like, it hit the tile floor in such a way where the physics of it just sent shards of porcelain, like, into the faces of the children who were sitting there listening to the sermon. And I was one of those kids. Like, I got hit in the head, literally, by this broken plate. And what happened there was it, it was paired with this, this really fiery moment of preaching. And, and what they were communicating was the idea that we are completely broken, completely broken, beyond repair, but in Christ we get to receive completely new lives, right? So he brought out a completely new plate and said, this is who you are in Christ, completely unbroken, completely redeemed, completely new. And I remember thinking at that moment that I, I, I wanted to be a part of a church that would 
have such a strong and vibrant faith that it would smash plates over uh, the gospel, that it would smash plates to help kids understand what it meant to be made new. I remember seeing the faith of the preacher and, and just being really encouraged and refreshed at how much he loved God, how, how significantly he had surrendered his entire life to Jesus. It, it refreshed my heart in Christ. And that preacher was Robert Crumry. Goes full circle. Robert Crumry uh, and I, this past week, I, we got to celebrate my 10th year serving on staff alongside Robert. And so all last week, um, look, uh, we're looking out each night and we're seeing these overly excitable kids, right, just like myself, uh, just being captured by the gospel and giving their little lives over to Jesus, surrendering w- with what little faith they had over to God and letting him be in the driver's seat of their lives. And you know what? That, that refreshed my heart. It refreshed and renewed and encouraged my faith to see that passion and that excitement in, in little kids and to see that God is still doing what he did in my own heart all those years ago. The, the faithfulness of those kids encouraged my faith. Even this past week, um, Caitlin, my wife, it was, it was having a really tough week. Um, motherhood has been this really bittersweet experience for her of getting to raise these two beautiful, precious little girls, but it is at great cost to her to her dreams and to her desires. And she's had to say no to a lot of things um, as she pursues what it means to be faithful um, to the calling that God has placed on her life to raise our children. And so the other night we sat, we prayed, and as Caitlin was kind of working through having to to have another door shut in her face and just kind of close on her, another opportunity, it, it, it brought a lot of frustration, it brought a lot of sadness, um, a lot of anger, and it was just all kind of closing. And, and so we prayed, and we went to bed, and I woke up anxious that Caitlin would just sink further into this deep, dark hole, um, into that, that dark place where her heart could harden toward God. Um, but then Caitlin sends me this text after her quiet time the next day, and it was actually a, a, a picture of her journal, and it was a poem. It was a poem that she had written, and I I did ask her if I could share this with everybody. So I want to read this poem. The weight is too much. I cannot free myself from this. Dark, dark, fathomless pit. As my eyes search and search and search, my breath becomes shallow, my heartbeat overwhelms. A sound bursts from my mouth, a half moan, half scream. From where does my help come? My eyes ache as they try to focus. Yes! There it is, a pinprick of light. I strain, but it is beyond me. As I sink into submission, it comes closer, stronger, till it kisses my forehead. I lift up my eyes. My help has come. when, When I read this, what I'm seeing is a faithfulness to God, an obedience in Caitlin to turn toward Jesus and to run toward him when it might feel like the last thing that she wanted to do. She could have easily just self-medicated by watching Netflix or going on a run. She could have tried to numb herself with busy work around the house. She could have uh, just hid herself in the countless trivial comforts that are at all of our fingertips, but she didn't. She directed her gaze to God, laying down her frustration and her anger and just submitting it to him. And let me tell you, I was incredibly encouraged when I read this. My faith was encouraged. I was, I was encouraged in my faith when I saw someone relying on God and then seeing God come through. 
my faith was refreshed. I was motivated to, to keep running my race. My heart was refreshed in what Christ was doing in Caitlin's life and in her heart. So as a disciple, our faithful discipleship and obedience to Christ can refresh the heart and the faith of other disciples around us. And that's a, that's a super exciting thing to understand. But I think the sad reality is, is that the opposite is also true. Another principle we can derive from this is that disobedience to Christ can discourage and it can drain other believers around us. I think we know this intuitively as it affects us. And maybe we can think of that friend right now who's, who, who's, who's really struggling in their faith and not necessarily making any efforts to turn to God in that struggle. That instead of leaning into God with questions of doubt or, or in circumstances that might bring up fear or anger, what they do is they do self-medicate. They dive into work. They, they numb themselves and stray away from obedience in Christ. They chase what feels good and right at the cost of remaining faithful to Christ. Nobody is encouraged by this. You don't meet up with a friend who's on the, in the process of losing their faith and walk out of there jazzed up and, and ready to take on the world. When you have a friend who, who isn't faithfully following Jesus, um, it's discouraging to your faith. It's sad. It's frustrating. It can be downright depressing. And see, we know this experientially as we, as we experience it from others in our lives who are disobedient. But I think it's harder to realize that, that our own lack of obedience has the same effect on the others around us. We don't need to wholly lose our faith to discourage those around us. But it's when, in the little moments, we, we decide to elevate things higher than God in our own lives. When, when we choose not to run after Jesus, when we make no effort to, to pursue Christ in a devotional life or in a quiet time, when we make decisions that are informed by our own desires and not the desires of God, when we just don't yield our lives to God, when we don't actively live as obedient disciples of Jesus, we can seriously discourage those around us, those that might need refreshment, who need encouragement to keep running the race themselves. And this is not meant at a dig. This is not meant to guilt us back into faithfulness in Jesus, because at that point, if you're struggling that much, you're not even thinking about the other people around you. But I think that it is a truth that we need to hear, that though, as, as Austin put it two weeks ago, our faith is personal, it's not private. Our faith is personal, but it's not private. The way that we live out our faith or don't live out our faith has the potential to encourage others or to discourage others in their faith. So let's be faithful. Let, let, let's live out our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Mercy House, our, our faithful following of Christ in all the ways that he's calling us to either serve or just to follow him and living our lives in a way that is constructed and informed by the gospel can refresh, can reinvigorate our discouraged and weary brothers and sisters. So that, that's one way. It's like if you're wondering, how can I encourage the people around me? Well, be faithful to Jesus Christ. That's what you can do. So we, we need refreshment. We can deliver refreshment through our faithfulness, but we can also deliver it in another way too. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And Paul 
is counting on the prayers of Philemon. He's banking on them. Not just in a vague, spiritually ambiguous sense, but a very practical reliance on Philemon's prayers. And we see Paul putting hope in Philemon's prayers being answered, so much so that he's telling him to prepare a room for him. Prepare a room for me. That's some gutsy prayer requesting, right? To ask for prayer and then just assume that that prayer is going to be answered. And to tell that person to, to, to make the accommodations in preparation for that prayer being answered. I think in addition to living faithfully in obedience of Christ, to Christ, um, we can encourage, uh, what we see is, like, the, the question is, how else can Philemon encourage and refresh Paul? By, by actually praying for him. So not just living obediently, but, but also to pray for him. And not just praying generally, but also praying practically and praying expectantly. So praying specifically and expectantly for other believers can encourage and refresh their faith. For, for Paul, his prayer request was relatively simple. It was like, get me out of here. I'm imprisoned. Can you pray for me to get me out of here? It's, it's relatively easy to pray for these practical things. It might be a procedure that's coming up for a friend. It might be a test that someone is taking for a hard conversation that needs to happen. But it still requires uh, intentionality. And we have to ask the people in our lives, how can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? And then also to not be satisfied with a generic answer. And try to actually dig in for the specific, for some practical needs. I think that we can do this with just a little bit of energy and effort. If someone says that they're having a hard time, hard time making ends meet, ask them, well, what exactly do they need? What amount are they short? If they're asking for prayer concerning a meeting with somebody, you can ask them, well, what's, what are you hoping the outcome would be? What, what are you actually hoping out of this? What should I be praying for specifically? If they're asking for prayer for like a surgery or procedure, ask them, what time is it at? Let me know. I can put a reminder on my phone. I'll pray right when it's actually happening. We, we can only pray more expectantly when we actually know what to expect out of these prayers. And so my challenge for us as a church family is that we would avoid the vague prayers if possible. And listen, I'll take a vague prayer over no prayer, right? But how often do our prayers maybe sound like this? God, please be with Caitlin and everything she is going through right now. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah, sometimes, right? You're like, I don't know how to pray for them, so I'll, just, I'll give them a general blessing. I know that I'm guilty of that. And that's not a bad prayer. But if we have the capacity to pray more specifically, shouldn't we? And so let's love others, love the people in our community by taking the time and, and just making the effort of learning how we can be more targeted in our requests to God. So then what if we don't know the specifics, right? What, what if we want to pray for someone, but we can't actually meet up with them or talk to them or text them or, I mean, there's a lot of ways to connect with people, but for some reason, there, you cannot get in touch with that other person. What then? Well, I, I think that one of the major steps um, as we mature as believers, is our ability to pray for, for not only the physical circumstances around our brothers and our sisters and our friends, um, but, but for the spiritual circumstances as well. And we see this, like, and this is a constant theme for Paul. In Ephesians 6, in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly Places. So there's more going on than just tests and money problems that we can be praying about. A great place that we can actually see this happening and having seen this uh, play out is in Paul's letter to the Colossians. 
And this is going to be up on the screen behind me. This is chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And this is Paul. He's saying, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of heaven of his beloved, kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a really long sentence from Paul, right? How can you pray for people when you don't have specific prayer requests? Because as you look through here, there's very little practical life circumstantial things that Paul is praying for as he prays for the, the, the church at Colossae. And so what do we see? One, I, I think what we see is, is that you can pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We see that in verse 9. That they would know and understand what God wants and what his aims are for them. What his purpose and direction are. A person who has this prayer answered is, is going to be able to have the heart of God. Is, is, going to, is going to be motivated by what motivates God and will be at a place of peace living in submission to God's sovereignty. That's one way. Another way that you can pray for them is pray that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Verse 10. A person who has this prayer answered is, is living that faithful, obedient life as they strive in discipleship to Jesus. So a person who has this prayer answered is, is not just aware of what God is calling them to do, right? It's not just hearing it, but is courageously, in faith, living that out day to day. That's a great prayer for somebody. Another one is that you could pray that they would bear fruit in every good work, that in addition to the fruits of the Spirit that are exhibited through living obediently to Christ, you can be praying for them um, in a way where they are just bringing light to the darkness around them. They are bringing the gospel to those who don't know Christ. They're bringing refreshment, encouragement to all those around them. Another way, four, pray that they would be increasing in their knowledge of God, increasing in their knowledge of God. The person having this prayer answered is reading God's word and, and growing in their understanding of who God is and, and what the implications of the gospel are for their lives. The fifth thing you can pray for, pray that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Pray that their faith and that their discipleship to Jesus would be strengthened. A person who has this prayer answered is going to be able to endure and not just white knuckle hang on for dear life endure, but with a joyful patience in that. And six, and, and lastly, what we see in here is pray a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God for them, right? For, and we see this in verse 12 through 13, for qualifying them to share in the inheritance of the saints, that is, to give thanks that, that, that they've been converted in their mind and in their heart and in their soul to the point of being able to then reshare that gospel with somebody else. Give thanks that God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and then transferred them into the kingdom of light for redeeming them, for forgiving them of their sins. I mean, this passage is dense. If you don't know how to pray for somebody, I want to challenge you to use this framework that we see in Colossians. It might not mean sitting down and praying for all of these in one sitting. That would be awesome if you have the capacity to do that. 
I do think that Paul is summarizing some ongoing prayer, his ongoing prayer life regarding the Colossians. But use this passage if you're lost and you don't know how to pray for somebody. This is how Paul is praying for those in the church of Colossae, the Colossians. Um, It's how he's praying for his friend Philemon. um, And it's how we can be praying for those in our lives as well. So bookmark that passage. All right, Mercy House, I think that there are really just two key principles that I would hope that you would take away from this text. One, it's that we need to receive refreshment from other disciples. And two, we can deliver refreshment to other disciples. It's simple. Piece of cake. Our first point of application is really answering the simple question. Are we being refreshed? Are we being refreshed? If we're in a place of darkness or discouragement or anxiety or hardness or despair or even just stagnation, are we seeking refreshment from others in Christ? And typically, when we're in those places, what we want to do is we want to isolate ourselves. Maybe try to figure it out on our own. Maybe the temptation is to disengage, to run away, to distract ourselves and Mercy House, if you're in that place, I want to urge you, I want to encourage you so hard to stop and to come back, to turn into community and into family and be like Paul here where where he's humbly saying, Philemon, I need something from you. I, I need some refreshment. I need some refreshment from a brother. If Paul is saying that as this rock star church planner, you bet that you need encouragement too. So if you're struggling in your faith and feeling discouraged or stagnant, run to Christ through faithful brothers and sisters who can speak truth to you and encourage you both with words but also just their own faithfulness to Jesus. Somebody who can remind you of the sweetness of the gospel. Someone who can pray for you when you just don't have the heart or the capacity to pray for yourself. And hear me, I'm not saying that your, your friends are, are your saviors in this. The application is not just go be with people, right? Distract yourself with people. Go watch movies with people. Remember that Paul's refreshment is, is coming through Philemon, but most importantly, it's in Christ. The refreshment is coming from Christ. Philemon just happens to be the person delivering the cup. The spiritual revitalization of our heart and our soul does not happen through worldly friendship. Let me say that again. The spiritual revitalization of our heart and soul does not happen through worldly friendship. It requires something much more. And so, are are we allowing ourselves to be refreshed through Christ-centered fellowship? And I'm not knocking worldly friendships. That's called evangelism. So you should have lots of worldly friendships. But you don't do evangelism necessarily to refresh yourself. You engage in fellowship to refresh yourself, and then you express that faith as it's being refreshed through evangelism. And so the second point of this application is not just are we receiving refreshment, but are we offering refreshment through our own obedience and prayer? I think the prayer part of this is pretty straightforward. Um, But how do we practically refresh and encourage people through our faithfulness to Christ, our, our, through our obedience as disciples? Is it just like, hey, want to hear some of the Bible verse I've been memorizing? Um, I can recite them for you. 
I don't think it's necessarily that simple. I don't think it's just the spiritual flex that helps people grow in their faith. Here are some ways. I think that what you can do is you can share your testimony with somebody. And maybe not your testimony, if, if you've already shared that, but maybe a specific growth story, a way, that God, um, ha- a way that God has intervened in your life and has transformed you in a way that nothing else has been able to do, to do that. What you're trying to do here is you can show them what God has done in your life. I think another thing you can do is, is you can share a verse from your quiet time um, or, or, or what you've been learning um, and I think what this shows is, is what God is currently doing in your life. And then you can pray for them on the spot, right? Not just pray for them and say, hey, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. Let me write that down in my journal. I mean, do that as well. But if someone is struggling, if someone is, is just having a rough day, like pray for them in that moment. No matter where you are, stop and you can pray for them and encourage them and pray expectantly in that. And then you can flip it. As you're doing this time of fellowship, you can flip it and ask them, what's, what's your story if you've never heard it, right? Tell, tell me again, how, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Help them remember God's goodness and, their, and his faithfulness in their life. And then ask them to pray for you. Pull a Paul, right? No matter how spiritually strong or vibrant you are, you never outgrow the need for prayer, for spiritual refreshment. So ask them, hey, can you pray for me? Do you see this cycle of mutual refreshment, this model for mutual encouragement? This is what mature, godly communities that take discipleship really seriously can produce. And it's a beautiful thing that God has designed into his church to combat Satan and his schemes in stealing our joy and crushing us as we take up our crosses and follow Jesus alongside one another. So as we slide out of summer and launch into September, things are only going to get more busy. Life is only going to get more hectic, which is why I think this text in the sermon um, has been such a sweet spot for me. It's helped me realign myself and remember where, where I can get that refreshment as I get parched, and also my calling to encourage and refresh others around me. So let me read these last two verses, and then we're going to finish for this morning. Verse 23. Epaphras... My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We see this theme of faith being personal but not private in Paul's letters over and over and over again. And and, in these last couple of verses, we see it play out uh, in his own life. I don't think there's any doubt that Paul's faithfulness to God um, his life as a disciple and his obedience to God um, encouraged the faith of the others around him. It absolutely did. I mean, if you're even reading Paul's letter and, and you're being encouraged in your faith, then you can attest to this reality. You can personally relate to it. And Paul's faithfulness had profound effects on those around him. And we can see this. Epaphras, one of the people who's mentioned as being with him, is also named in the letter to the, uh, the Colossians. Um, and and he's, he's a very close friend, as we see it in the language that Paul is using. He's even being called out as a fellow prisoner as they shared the same trials and the same persecutions throughout their, uh, their ministry. You see Aristarchus' name there as well. And this is someone who would have traveled with Paul throughout the majority of his ministry, finally end, ending up um, as a bishop of Ap- Apamea. So he becomes a really strong spiritual leader. 
We see Luke go on to write his gospel account in the book of Acts. Mark goes on to write his gospel. And while we don't know exactly how Philemon dealt with Onesimus, whether he kept him as a slave, whether he sent him back to minister to Paul, or maybe he just freed him to do ministry, what we do know through church tradition is that Onesimus would go on to be named the bishop of Ephesus, of all of Ephesus. And so all of these men undoubtedly were propelled in their faith, in their, their faith journeys by Paul and his own faithfulness. But even as we see how these men who were encouraged and refreshed by Paul, and I'm sure that they return the favor to Paul as well, it's not all good news. Demas is named here, and he's going to eventually go on to desert Paul and his own faith. We see this in 2 Timothy 4.10, that he fell in love with this present world. I'm willing to bet that Demas didn't turn into community, into family, into God. What he did was he probably self-medicated. He probably ran. Maybe he, he just numbed himself because the wording there is that he fell in love with this present world, not with Jesus Christ. And so this loss of faith and this lack of obedience is undoubtedly heart-wrenching for Paul as we read about it in 2 Timothy. And so as much as we, um, as believers, can be refreshing to others around us. The reality is that people waver. People waver. It, it's a blessing when we get to be encouraged by faithful followers of Christ, but there's absolutely no certainty in that. There is no certainty in that. No matter how long they've, they've professed Christ as their Savior, no matter how much fruit seemingly comes out of their life, our ultimate hope and our faith cannot rest on another human being. The only certainty that we have is in Christ Jesus. The only unwavering source of encouragement, of refreshment that's always constantly on tap is available to us at any time through Christ. And that's what we do when we take communion each week. We remember the reality that even though the life of the disciple is hard, that it feels like death. Even when others around us fall from their faith, even as we potentially lose everything that we hold dear as we follow Christ, that the most precious, most valuable, the sweetest form of refreshment and love in all of creation is always available for us. That's why we take communion every single week. But it comes at a great cost. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body being broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after blessing it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. What Jesus does is he breaks himself so that we can receive him. We take communion to remember this reality that though we are sinners, though there, that, that there, there's nothing that we can do to deserve this refreshment, this life in Christ. It's available to us every single Sunday, every single day, every single moment, and that's grace. But it does come at a tremendous cost. So my hope for you this morning is to come. Come refresh yourself at the table. And then as you are refreshed, know that you can refresh those around you as you go.
If you're new to Mercy House, uh, what we do is we take communion by forming two lines down the center, and then you're going to swing out to the sides and grab um, your communion, and then you can go back out to your seats. All of our communion bread is gluten-free, so if you're gluten-free, you don't have to worry um, about being contaminated. Um, so let's take some time now. Let me pray for us, um, and we'll take communion. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for the refreshment that we have in our brothers and our sisters as they are faithful to you, but we also thank you most importantly for the refreshment that we can receive in you. And I pray now, God, as we come to the table, as we take communion, that you would refresh our souls, God, that you would encourage us and uplift us, God, that you would remind us of the work that you've done in our life and, and that you would encourage us uh, with the work that you will continue to do, God. It says that you will not... Um, yeah, you will not stop. You, you will bring to completion what it is that you've started in each of us. So we pray that our hope and our trust would be in you and that you would ignite in us that fire to go and to bring encouragement and refreshment to those around us, God. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.